You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Welcome to the Useless Information Podcast, my collection of fascinating true stories from the flip side of history. My name is Steve Silverman, and today's story is titled, Mr. Moneybags. But before we do that, let's start with today's question of the day. And for today's question of the day, I thought I'd ask you about color standards. Pantone colors, to be precise. Now, if you're not familiar with Pantone, it is a proprietary system that's used by graphic artists, clothing designers, printers, and in many, many other industries. And every year, Pantone announces their choice for color of the year. So my question to you is fairly straightforward. What color did Pantone choose for the color of the year that's this year, 2013? And here are your choices. Was it one, blue iris, two, emerald, three, honeysuckle, four, tangerine tango, or five, turquoise? Now, I should mention that all of these colors have been the color of the year in recent years. But which one is the color of the year this year? That's 2013. Again, your choices are one blue iris, two emerald, three honeysuckle, four tangerine tango, or five turquoise. And as always, I'll let you ponder over these choices for a bit, and I'll let you know the answer at the end of this podcast. And now for today's story that I've titled, Mr. Moneybags. And to tell this story, we must hop in our time machine and roll the clock back to November of 1934. Much of the world is bogged down in the Great Depression, and of course, unemployment is at an all-time high. And we all know that people from all walks of life were financially ruined. But not all, and that includes the man that I'm about to talk about. His name was Alexander Hector Orr Munsell. He was born on September 13th of 1895 to a prominent Brookline, Massachusetts family. You see, his father was Albert Henry Munsell, the inventor of the Munsell color system. And that was one of the earliest attempts to describe colors numerically, and it's still in use today. And then there was his maternal grandfather, who just happened to be named Alexander Hector Orr. And he was a prominent banker and an insurance executive. He served as the chairman of the Rapid Transit Board, and he arranged for the financing and the construction of the New York City subway. When he died in 1914, he bequeathed $1,481,363.43, which is about $33 million today, to his grandson. 
And if that wasn't enough, he received an additional several hundred thousand dollars from an aunt who passed away in 1919. And then by playing the stock market, he built up an even greater fortune, bragging that he earned $100,000 in a single day before the big crash. Even after Black Tuesday of 1929, he still had over $1 million. Alexander Hector Orr Munsell was set for life. He was wealthy before the big stock market crash, and he was wealthy after. Munsell, whose nickname was Mr. Moneybags, was a 1918 Harvard graduate, and he had studied abroad. He was married on May 29th of 1917 to Margaret Jean Dodd, and she was a member of the class of 1916 at Wellesley. Then, after his father's death on June 28th of 1918, he took over the Munsell Color Company, although he later stated that he operated it at a financial loss. When World War I broke out, Munsell joined up as a member of a Boston Medical Corps unit, and after the war he returned to his life in high society. So far, you're probably thinking this is not a very interesting story. But in a 1935 interview, he claimed that he underwent a transformation that had begun in March of 1931. He said, quote, Suppose that you saw a girl and right off you felt you had something in common with her. Well, that's what happened to me with regard to people less fortunate than I. I discovered that I had something in common with the poor man, and I just wanted to get rid of all my money. And that is exactly what he did. He gave away his entire fortune. He gifted close to $1 million. That's nearly $17 million today. And he did that over a 15-month period. Now, half was set aside for his wife and three sons with the provision that he could never touch that money, and the remainder was given away, quote, for the benefit of mankind. When the press learned of his incredible giveaway, they found him knitting a sweater while sitting on a cot in a New York City flop house called Hartford House. It was later learned that he had given his last $800 to Hartford House, and that was to establish a revolving loan program to provide the jobless with small advances. Now that he was broke, he had no choice but to take up residence there himself. When questioned as to why he would give it all away to be poor, Munsell said, quote, The only joy I found in my million dollars was in giving it away. He added, Now like millions of others, I am looking for a $25 a week job. In seven weeks, the last of my inheritance, which has dwindled to $27 a week, will be stopped and I'll be standing on my own feet. And that's the end of the quote. His wife, Margaret, on the other hand, blamed it on, quote, delayed adolescence. Now, she did her best to hide her husband's charity, but he just couldn't keep his trap shut. You see, this was an incredible embarrassment to the Munsell family at the time. And she said, quote, I don't want to appear critical. I don't want to question the actions of my husband. But Alexander never seemed to share my ideas on certain phases of life. It is quite possible that my point of view is feminine and material, but I consider it normal. My husband thought more of humanity than he did of his family. When interviewed a year later, Munsell still had no regrets. He did comment that he did make a few initial mistakes, 
and that included giving $350,000 to the YMCA, the YWCA, and the National Council for the Prevention of War. Most of the money was spent before he learned how to best give it away. At one point, he was spending $8,000 per month to hire professionals who could render services to those who were less fortunate. Just as I got my organization going good, I ran out of money. You can see how handy it would have been to have another million dollars to carry on the work. He added, you don't know where I can get a job so I can start making a million, do you? Now, while he may have been broken living among the poor, he did have one thing that the rest did not. That was a very rich mother named Juliet Munsell, and she was alive and kicking in San Francisco, California. She had also inherited a big chunk of her dad's $10 million estate, and her son was the first in line to receive it after she passed away. When asked about what he would do with such a windfall, Munsell told the reporter, quote, If I get it, I don't think I'll keep it. Now that I'm broke, I know the greatest peace I've ever experienced in my life. I don't think having another fortune could make me happier. So I'd give it away. And just like most sensational stories, this one quickly faded from the headlines. Excluding a brief mention in the New York Times on February 1st of 1936, and that was just a mention that his wife had gone to Reno, Nevada, and you know exactly what's coming now, she went to Reno to get a divorce. There was not to be another mention of Munsell in the paper for many years after that. Now fast forward to 1951. And Munsell, who's now 56 years old, was once again front page news. And you can probably guess why. His mom died on August 24th of 1948. She left $1.3 million to one daughter, $650,000 to another daughter, and $650,000 to her supposedly broke son. Oddly, mom left nothing to her third daughter, and that was mainly because she had already inherited quite heavily from Mrs. Munsell's sister back in 1919, and therefore mom felt that she didn't need the money. That caused the will to be contested, but it was ultimately ruled valid by a judge. When the news broke of Mr. Munsell's big inheritance, the members of the press lined up outside his newly remodeled three-story brownstone, which is located at 324 West 20th Street in New York City. It is still there. But he refused to open the door to answer any questions. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're probably sitting there wondering, how can a man who gave away everything come to afford such a home? Let's just say that his rich relatives, which included his mother, were very generous. In the 16 years after he gave away his fortune, he slowly changed his attitude towards being poor. He never had to find a real job, and he now spent his days reading books, caring for the home that he shared with his second wife and stepdaughter, and he dabbled in an occasional act of charity. So the big question was, would he turn down the inheritance? And if he accepted it, would he keep it, or would he give it all away again? His sister, Mrs. Elizabeth Konevsky of Greenwich, Connecticut, she gave a clue at the time of the inheritance. Quote, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if he did keep it. She added, But he has his own mind. He's good and charitable. And that's the end of the quote. The world would have to wait until Mr. Munsell's death 
and that was from a heart attack on March 26 of 1983 to learn the answer. According to his daughter, Barbara Cole Munsell, who was questioned at the time of his passing, her dad did just as he promised. He gave the money away. Alexander Ector Orr Munsell had spent his remaining years working with organizations that helped out the poor and the elderly in New York City, as well as those that promoted nuclear disarmament. Useless, useful, I'll leave that for you to decide. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And now for a few words from our retro sponsor. Howdy, everybody. Here we are all ready to take you down to Pine Ridge for another visit with Lum and Abner. Brought to you by the makers of Horlicks, the original malted milk. The rich, full flavor of Horlicks malted milk is one that you will never grow tired of. Horlicks is always a delicious drink, always refreshing and invigorating. It's a nourishing and energy-giving drink, too. A fine food drink for both children and adults. Horlicks malted milk, you know, is rich in vitamins and minerals that help children develop healthy, sturdy bodies, sound bones and teeth. Those vitamins and minerals are carefully preserved by Horlicks' method of vacuum processing the rich, full cream milk and fine wheat and malted barley used in making Horlicks malted milk. But beware of cheap imitations of Horlicks, the original and genuine. Always ask for it by name and refuse to accept a substitute. Horlicks malted milk can be purchased in both natural and chocolate flavors. And now, let's get ready for Lum and Abner. That commercial for Horlicks malted milk is from the January 8th, 1935 broadcast of Lum and Abner, and it was titled Squire's Visit from Southern Pipeline. Horlicks sponsored the show from 1934 to 1937. The product was invented by London pharmacist James Horlick, and that was as an improved nutritional supplement for infants. It's basically malted barley and wheat flour that is boiled to form a gruel. Milk powder is then mixed in, it's heated to drive off the water, and then what's left is ground into a powder. I've never tasted it, but supposedly it's similar in taste and texture to Ovaltine. James then immigrated to the U.S. and joined his brother William to form the Chicago company J&W Horlicks in 1873. Ten years later, a U.S. patent was issued for a reformulated version of the product. The original name of the product was Diastoid, of all things, uh, but the brothers trademarked the better name Malted Milk in 1887. So if you've ever ordered a malted milkshake at an ice cream parlor, now you know where the name came from. While it originally was intended for children, it proved to be very popular with adults during World War I. At one point, it was marketed as a sleep aid, but since there's no real proof that it helps anyone to get more Z's, that claim is no longer made. Today, the product is manufactured by GlaxoSmithKline, and it's almost non-existent in the United States, you know, except for a few importers here or there. 
um, but it is still widely available in the UK, in New Zealand, South Africa, and of course some other countries. And now for a few totally useless yet totally true tidbits from history. It's time for what I like to call news of the weird past. And all of today's tidbits have one thing in common, using the wrong ingredients while cooking. That can be deadly. May 23rd of 1909, it just seemed like any typical Sunday morning in the Staten Island, New York home of Robert and Cynthia Barry. The 80-year-old woman woke up early and she made biscuits for breakfast. That's something she had done many times before. But almost immediately after eating the biscuits, the couple turned ill. So Robert took his cane and he wrapped it on the wall to get the attention of his next-door neighbors. They came quickly and they telephoned the stricken couple's son-in-law, who just happened to be a doctor, Dr. Frank H. Ross. Upon arriving, Mr. Barry gasped for air, but he was able to tell Dr. Ross, quote, Grandma used the wrong powder in the biscuit. He then lapsed into a state of unconsciousness. Mrs. Barry, who was barely conscious herself, denied having done so. A quick search through her ingredients confirmed exactly what had happened. A container of arsenic was found with the salt, pepper, and baking powder, and she had stored them together in the same closet. So the doctor immediately administered strychnine as a possible antidote, but it did not work. Mrs. Barry died that evening and her husband the following afternoon. Then there was the December 11, 1957 story of the Van Horn family. Darlene Van Horn, aged 24, was estranged for her husband at the time and she was living at 2132 Huron Street in Chicago, Illinois. While she was at work that day, a friend of the family, that's 54-year-old Finus Kittinger, he offered to help out and prepare a meal for the family. So he purchased a chicken and then he grabbed a brown bag of flour from the pantry shelf. Darlene and her four-year-old daughter Deborah tasted the chicken, but they refused to eat it because it was too salty. The rest of the family eagerly consumed the fried chicken. Sadly, four hours later, both Mr. Kittinger and two-year-old Roger Van Horn were dead. Fifteen-month-old Susan was taken to the hospital in critical condition, but she ultimately recovered. It was quickly learned that Mr. Kittinger had grabbed the wrong brown sack from that pantry. He thought he was using flour in his recipe, but it was really roach poison. And our last tidbit for today occurred on July 12th of 1964 in Stelia, Greece. On this day, Mrs. Iona Apostolopoulos, who was age 60, was hosting a memorial service to honor her late husband Gregory, who had died 40 days earlier. About 200 people chose to attend the service, and they were served a traditional boiled wheat germ dish called koliva. It was then sprinkled with powdered sugar. As you probably could guess, the powdered sugar was not sugar at all. Instead, it was an insecticide that was intended for use on fruit trees. Within 90 minutes, the mourners started complaining of feeling sick. Some of the victims started rolling on the floor in pain, while others could be heard screaming from within the walls of their homes. Sixteen people died before help arrived, and another six died at the hospital. It was reported that another 128 people were recovering at local hospitals. 
the small town of 388 people was in total shock. Apostolopoulos, along with her son and her daughter, were charged with manslaughter by negligence, and that was mainly because they continued to serve the poison coliva even after people started falling ill from it. And now for the answer to today's question of the day. And I had asked which color did Pantone choose as a color of the year for this year, 2013. Your choices were 1. Blue Iris, 2. Emerald, 3. Honeysuckle, 4. Tangerine Tango, or 5. Turquoise. So let's start in reverse order. Blue Iris was the color of the year in 2008. Mimosa, which I didn't mention, nabbed the award in 2009. That was followed by Turquoise in 2010. Honeysuckle was the winner in 2011, and Tangerine Tango in 2012. That leaves just one color, Emerald, which was their choice for the color of the year in 2013. Her parents must be very proud. The Pantone color system was started way back in 1963, that's 50 years ago, by a man named Lawrence Herbert. He saw the need for a standard system for describing colors that would allow designers, ink makers, and printing companies to all be on the same page while communicating with each other. Pantone tags each color with a unique number. For example, that entire glowing pink aisle of Barbie dolls and accessories at the toy store? That's Pantone color 219. U.S. Air Force Blue is 287, and Starbucks Green is 3425. And these brands are incredibly strict in the use of their logos and colors. For example, Staples not only requires that their logo be Pantone number 485, it must also be tilted at 6 degrees from the horizontal, the typeface cannot be modified in any way, and you cannot overlap it with any other text or graphics. Lastly, I just want to mention that Pantone also chooses the top color every season for fashion. The spring 2014 color is dazzling blue, and that's because 17.05% of the designers use that color in their 2014 spring fashions for women. Now what exactly is dazzling blue? It's the blue color that Facebook uses in its logo. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's story titled Mr. Moneybags. It actually wasn't the story that I intended to write. I was actually researching another story, and on the same page in one of the old newspapers, I saw this one, and I thought it was more interesting. I also hope you enjoyed the supporting materials that went with it. 
Anyway, if you'd like to read more true stories just like these, please be sure to get a copy of one of my books. They are Einstein's Refrigerator and Lindbergh's Artificial Heart. Both are written by me, Steve Silverman, and they're available from your local bookseller online and, of course, from your local library. And if you go to www.facebook.com slash uselessinformationpodcast, that's all one word, uselessinformationpodcast, you can find additional resources, the stories and the other information that I use to research these articles. And you can also send some comments to me. You can also contact me at useless at steve.silverman.name. That's useless at steve.silverman.name. Or you can visit my website, which is uselessinformation.org. Once again, I thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in the next time. Bye. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.